fear of the Lord is the beginning, not the end, not the middle. No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You cannot understand life as a believer unless you walk in the fear of the Lord. You know why you don't understand the Bible? Because you don't walk in the fear of God. I have just such a hard time understanding the Bible. Walk in the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. God reveals himself when you walk in fear. My God, that is, that is enough of that. <laughs> I, I love that, that it, that's coming from a guy who's constantly afraid of witches. <laughs> right? He's, like, he's always like, witches, they're everywhere. They're putting, they're putting hexes in the, in the ground underneath our feet while we're not here. Like, he's always worried about witches. But no, fear of the Lord. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Wet One. I'm Julian Paul Butt. And I'm Sean Andes. Today we're talking with Ricky, also known as Captain Dadpool on TikTok, about biblical theology and Christian nationalism. He's the host of Nerds and Heresy on YouTube. And honestly, from there, there's a few more things that I, I want to say about you, but I, I kind of want to get to know you a little bit more than, than uh, in the intro here. Tell us about yourself and uh, how it is that you came to this. Yeah, so I um, I became a Christian when I was roughly around 15. I was invited to a youth group. It's a similar story. A lot of people have the same story. Um, but I got like absolutely obsessed with it really fast. And uh, eventually I wanted to become a pastor. I did missions trips and street evangelism and uh, fine arts festivals. Some of you AGs out there wouldn't know what that is. Uh, but anyway, I, um, I, I knew I started knowing the Bible really, really well. And like the elders in my church were like recognizing that. And then they would, so they would tell me like, well, you know, your Bible really, really well. Uh, I, th I think God has a calling on your life to be a pastor. And, and you know, you're, you're this, this young on fire for God kid. You're like, oh, I would be so blessed to serve my Lord and savior in his kingdom. So like, I, yeah, so I was definitely pining for that. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Bible college to be a pastor. So I did two years of college, uh, and I couldn't continue uh, for financial reasons. And then I went and joined the military, uh, following the footsteps of my dad. I joined the Army as an infantryman, and I went to Iraq. I was in uh, I was in that for three and a half years. And when I got out, I had the GI Bill, and I was like, let's go finish my degree. Money's not a problem now. Uh, military is going to pay for it. So, But I had to kind of start all over because I went to a different college. So four more years... And then graduated, and yeah, during, throughout the course of my education, I learned a lot that you don't hear about in church. Um, and so one belief kind of fell after the other like dominoes, and eventually I just I was like, you know, I don't think I believe in God anymore. So yeah, and then uh, you then yeah, sorry, go ahead. The TikTok thing um, when the pandemic when the panorama hit, uh, I, have, I, have, <laughs> I have four kids, and two at the time, two of them were in school, and two, or one of them was in school, three of them were in daycare, and then all those shut down. Uh, so suddenly we had four kids and nowhere, nothing to do with them. So we made the decision. I would uh, leave my job. My wife and I worked together. So she stayed, and I was a stay-at-home parent, um, and was losing my mind. So I was like, let's see what this TikTok thing is all about. It's not a curiosity. And then about a month after downloading, I started making content of my own. And I made like political jokes uh, and things like that at first. Videos, cute videos about my cats, as you do. And then, yeah, I, I responded to that one video. Uh, it was a pastor asking 
those of you who have left your faith, why, what caused it? And I gave like a brief one minute version of this story. Uh, and that, yeah, that, that video blew up. And I woke up the next morning and my notifications was like 99 plus, And I was looking at it like, what is, is my thing glitching out? This, what is, that's not normal. Uh, and then look, I gained like 60,000 followers overnight. I was like, what, what is happening? Did I, did I do an internet? I think I did an internet. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. So yeah, then people just kept asking me questions that I knew the answers to. I was like, yeah, I can, I, I can talk about this. Uh, so it's pretty much pretty much been doing that ever since. What's what sunk it for you when when it came to your relationship with the church? The uh, like the was there was there a point where you you the the information you were learning just didn't match up with reality, or was it some was it something else entirely? But yeah, it was um it was the I, I guess like the the Bible itself and the the reliability of the Bible itself. I was I was very flexible. With my with adjusting my beliefs, like I was never a young Earth creationist. I was always an evolutionist. Um, in in school, you learned that um, hell is not really a biblical concept. The Bible teaches annihilationism. Like, cool, no problem. I, I stop believing hell. The easy. Um, you start learning that there's no archaeological evidence for like the genocides in the Old Testament. We like to talk about. I was like, oh, those didn't actually happen. This is just a group of people like making up their own origin story. Okay, cool. So like, I, I was very flexible with those things. Uh, what got me came to the Gospels, learning that the Gospels were not written by witnesses because uh, I was a member of the Assemblies of God Church, which uh, holds to the doctrine of inerrancy. Although I personally did not really. Um, but they always taught us that the, the Gospels were written by eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you learn that, no, they were not. Those names were added later by Tertullian in the second century. Uh, and prior to that, they're, they're anonymously written. And they're not written by eyewitnesses. They're written in another language that the disciples didn't speak. So it's just like, hold on. This isn't adding up here. Um, you know, you, you learn that Paul. Uh, I always said the Gospels were written before Paul. No, Paul wrote all his letters before the Gospels. I was like, oh, so Paul is the first. So, so none, none of these. Are, are we allowed to cuss on the show? I forgot to ask. Oh, oh yeah, yeah as much as you want. want. Yeah. 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 Drink, swear, cool. smoke cigarettes, whatever. So it's like so <laughs> none of these fuckers were eyewitnesses to Jesus. None of them saw any of this. Cool. Yeah. And I'm supposed to dedicate my entire life to to all this like sketchy information. And I was like, I I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So. And, and, and even the Gospels themselves, I don't want to get off too much on a tangent here, but they weren't even written at the same time as one another. Right? They they were. I mean, they were. I think John is the is the most recent of all of them, and was something. Yeah. It was over a hundred years later. Yeah, Joe, not really a hundred. It was. Um, Jesus died in thirty. The John is estimated to have been written about ninety five, and the earliest was okay. Mark right. was estimated to be written about sixty A.D. So mm-hmm. there's between thir- some some scholars think John was written in the early second century, maybe 110. Uh, that's a less supported theory, but yeah, don't mean to go off topic. But yeah, there's there's written over the span of 30, 40, maybe 50 years from each other. Um, and they don't agree with one another. Right. <laughs> and the disciples were probably <laughs> on big things like the virgin birth is doesn't appear in all four. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really important things. Yeah. So you were talking about you mentioned the term uh, the uh, doctrine of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Is is that what uh, what people typically refer to as like a literal interpretation of the Bible? Like this is how this is the word of God, and we're not supposed to interpret it. So, some have interpreted that way. Some have, some think it's more like um, the Bible's not 
always literal. Like you, you kind of have to discern what's more literal and what's figurative, but nothing in it is technically wrong. Um, you may have a mm-hmm. wrong interpretation of it. So like reading the gospels and then you're like, Hey, the gospels are, uh, they have this, you know, these inaccuracy or these contradictions with each other. No, they're not contradicting. There, there's a way to reconcile all of them. You just have to find out what those are. And like, that's kind of the version of inerrancy that I held to. Um, always look for a way to reconcile them, even though it's ludicrous to do that sometimes. That's a hell of a loophole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it sounds, and maybe this is related. Maybe it's the same thing and I'm misunderstanding, but uh, there, there are, uh, these folks or this a thing perhaps called uh, uh, the apologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that there's another TikToker. Uh, TikToker is that is that the phrase? Yeah, uh, that's kind of what a t- content creator, whatever. Uh, Dan McClellan. Oh yeah, uh, I think you know. Uh, a friend of mine. He, oh, fantastic! Uh, personal, it almost seems like yeah. there's a circle, <laughs> like this this parasocial uh, a circle uh, of of people who are who are talking about this. Well, Dan talks a lot about uh, apologetics, and I I think I have an idea of this, but I in my in my outside perspective, I just see it as as people trying to connect dots that are not there, and and be hyper literal with with the Bible. Is that the same thing as inerrancy, or or these? crossing threads that are not there uh it's, it's not really the same thing as inerrancy it's it, it gets kind of like nuanced in different positions like that but you're absolutely right like that's the job of the apologist is to try and reconcile these differences and to find evidence um even when there is none um they they go into it with they already have the answer now they're looking for the evidence to support that answer uh they're not going as much as they claim to be open-minded they're not usually um, they already know, yeah, the, the resurrection is a historical fact. It happened. Now let's go figure out how we can reconcile that with the shitty amount of evidence that we have for something like that. They're huge fans of science when it supports their beliefs. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> it's nuts. Like, I, y'all know uh, Mike Jones from Inspiring Philosophy? He's, no. he's like... Oh, um, I... I think I listened to an episode of that. He's like the, the go ahead. He's like the biggest, uh, maybe biggest apologist on YouTube. Um, he's got a huge fan base. Um, as he comes off as very confident, uh, but the thing is, is like, so he he has a master's degree in philosophy, which which is great. But he goes and like takes on like top scholars in every field you can imagine: biology, psychology. Um, archaeology, physics, like uh, astronomy, like every field you can think of. He goes like, this guy, this guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. I'm like, dude, you're not an expert in that shit. Shut up. Where do you, do you have a magnifying? Do you have a, a microscope? Where is, where is your lab? He's the boss level Redditor. Yes. Yes. That's great. <laughs> He's the Redditor you get to when you defeat all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know where I've heard that name. I, I was actually watching a YouTube. You were you were talking about uh, uh, he was he was breaking down. It was like a multi-layered stitch. Uh, but he was he was I think it's one of the, your more recent videos on, on YouTube uh, where where he was he was breaking down uh, what Paul was saying and when he was saying it and a few other things. Yeah. Uh, is, is this the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, we yeah. I think so. Yeah, we've had some back and forths on YouTube and TikTok. 
<laughs> he's become less of a fan of mine. I'm I've become less of a fan of his. It's it's good to have nemeses. It is. Uh, getting back a little bit to speaking of origin stories, uh, uh, to, to your origin story, I did want to ask you a little bit more. Uh, I know that in in one of the podcasts that I listened to, uh, you mentioned that uh, you were you weren't born into it in the same way that that some folks are born into it. Uh, what you were saying, if if I'm remembering correctly, is that your parents were somewhat into Christianity. But it wasn't super hardcore evangelical per se, and you were getting more influence from your grandmother. Am I remembering this right? Yeah, pretty uh, pretty much. Uh, my my mom is like spiritual, like one of the spiritual types. Not really Christian, just like believes in God and believes you can pray to him, whoever he is, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so she never like forced religious on me, but. Uh, I would go and visit my grandma every other weekend, and she was a devout, like, I think it was Baptist. Um, yeah, it was Baptist. And so she took me to church with her, and I had cousins that I went with. Um, and that's where I got, like, yeah, first exposed to it. And I got baptized when I was little. Um, I didn't really think a whole lot of it after that. Uh, eventually, we stopped going to church for several years. And then when I was in high school, someone invited me back. I was like, yeah, I've been to church before. I'll, I'll go I'll go to it youth group with you and so yeah this seems like a, a bit of a departure from some of the stories that we've heard where uh, talking to ex-evangelicals or uh, folks like that where their story sounds more like waking up from a nightmare yeah. and yours really sounds sounds more like kind of a, a a nice nap and you realize that <laughs> that it was the middle of the day the whole time uh yeah but uh <laughs> good way to put it but it, it uh but it, it it doesn't it doesn't seem like like your escape was was pulling the eject button in a crashing airplane mm -hmm. it was really a, a a different story than i'm used to hearing do you does that does that influence your your approach to to this, or do you have any thoughts on that distinction when you're talking to other folks who are sort of ex-religion in some way? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people are are born uh, into a religious family and they get the full indoctrination experience. I didn't have that experience. I indoctrinated myself. Right. Um, I this was something that I chose uh, that I thought was right um, when I was a stupid teenager who didn't know shit about shit. But still, I thought it was right at the time. Uh, but yeah, so those, those people who like are born in this reality that they're taught from the very beginning from the people that they love and trust that this is the truth. You have to believe these things, go to church, pray to this God, all that stuff. And then they get older and they realize uh, my entire life is a lie. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine how crazy that must be. Um, for me, it was like I chose the wrong thing and I... I went after it hardcore, like balls to the wall. I was a hardcore Jesus freak for 15 years. And then I realized, holy shit, I just, I chose the wrong thing and I went a hundred percent on it for 15 years and I'm so, I'm such an idiot. So now the good thing about that, it, it silver lining as you can be, I guess. Um, I don't even know if that sentence makes sense <laughs> is now I, now I'm, Spending like the rest of my life wondering like what else have I been wrong about? You know, is there um, 
are, do I have like racist tendencies that I'm, I'm not aware of? Um, uh, do I have sexist tendencies I'm not aware of? Um, so I, I constantly have to analyze myself. Like what else have I been wrong about? I, I, I was wrong about this. I was very, very wrong about this. I'm bound to have been wrong about other things. And I hate to be wrong. It's like my biggest fear in the world. I hate being wrong. Uh, so yeah, it's, I'm constantly trying to figure out. Yeah. What, what I, what I can learn to be a better human at, I guess. I think that's an incredibly adult perspective on these things when, <laughs> you know, like so, so many of the, of the sources of the content on, you know, I don't want to say on the other side, but sort of, you know, in that camp of, you know, advocating for this hyper religiosity, mm -hmm. it is exactly the opposite. There is there is no introspection whatsoever, right. at least none that's ever presented. And, you know, just like you were mentioning the the guy, the the philosopher guy, what was his name oh, again? Mike Jones. Yeah. All right. Just like you were mentioning him, like the he has a he has a following largely because he presents himself so confidently he is, he's expressing so much assurance in in his in whatever position he's taking that makes it seem like he knows what he's talking about i i doubt that that stops when the camera's off right you know like you know, that that's the sort of thing that somebody carries around with them all the time and 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 i think that uh that we really do need to have much more of that humility about our own conclusions you know we didn't most of the conclusions that we have, we didn't even come up with in the first place. We sort of absorb them from our environment. Right. And those are the ones that are really troublesome because we don't know we have them. We're acting on them all the time, but we don't know that they're there. Starting off on that path of trying to look at those things, I think is that's probably the only uh, the only antidote that we have to this mess that we're currently experiencing collectively right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big difference between, um, I don't know say my side and that side or, or whatever, but people with that mindset, that's, I think I'll just go ahead about it. People like that, your, your, your Ben Shapiro's, your Jordan Peterson's, your Andrew Tate's, they're just full of confidence. They're never wrong. You will never hear them admit that they were wrong. You will never hear them apologize for something. And so you have all these young men that have all these ideas that are already downloaded into their mind and they're confused. They're growing up. They're learning more about the world. They're confused. And then they hear, they hear these grown guys with a lot of money and a lot of, uh, influence and they're telling them that they're, that you're right, right? Your, your teenage brain is right. And so they're like, Oh, I like this guy. He makes me feel validated, but he's not challenging you. That's the problem. Don't mm -hmm. fucking flock to people that are going to, you know, pet you on the head and be like, you're right. You're right. Go to people who are going to fucking challenging you. They're not challenging them because there's no money in that. Um, nobody's out there looking to be like, where am I wrong at? at you know, what, what do I need to change? Like, there's not many people out there doing that. Most people are out there doubling down like I'm the top G. I'm fucking right. Everybody else is wrong. Listen to me. <laughs> and people who are desperate who don't know anything about life or looking at him like, Oh, I'm, I'm really, he's confident. He seems like he knows what he's talking about. He's got the money to back it up. And you know, we've got a television show. He might, he must know. So yeah. I'm a, so they get these huge followers. That's the horrible story of religion. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's got a lot of money and he seems to talk <laughs> confidently. <laughs> and with a religion, you get the added per perk of uh, Hey, you're going to be rewarded for eternity in the afterlife. This guy knows what happens after we yeah. die. No, 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 no matter what happens to you in your life, you're, you're going to heaven. We held off on this right at the beginning, but that just brings us right into Tucker Carlson. Oh, man. oh does it? How how insane is this? Dude, I, it, it came so suddenly. I, I thought Tucker Carlson was like bulletproof. 
Like, people are going to so cover up his bullshit for his entire <laughs> life. He's going to be, like, 90. Be like, hey, Obama caused 9-11. Like, he's going to be 90 saying shit like that, and everyone's <laughs> just going to let him. I had no, yeah. no reason to believe he was going to get any sort of accountability. Because, well, why, 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 I think this absolutely, has, this absolutely has to be some sort of fallout from the Dominion lawsuit settlement. I mean, it just has to. I mean, they, they was three quarters of a billion dollars. And he was a large part of all that. A lot of his texts were used, and yeah. you know, were 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 part of the evidence on on the Dominion lawyer side. And like, I just I can't imagine that these are these are separate, isolated events. I it, it I was thinking today, being completely law illiterate, but I was I was wondering if if some of it has to do with his either his inability or limited ability to give testimony if he's not an employee. Because they still have four or something like a handful of cases, however many, a handful of cases still pending, not just from Dominion. Like this is just the first in, yeah, in uh, a volley against them. And uh, I, I, that was just my wild speculation this mo- this afternoon in Glee when I found out and <laughs> tweeted furiously with my best memes. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's entirely possible. Like, they could be like, no, get him out, sever all ties with the company before the rest of this shit. Because only they've only gotten a taste. There's more shit coming down the pipes. So, like, s- sever all ties with him before the rest of it comes because it's it's already bad. And now they're 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 doing damage control. They're trying to minimize the damage that's coming their way because they know it's coming. Yeah, and, and maybe and and I'm I'm not a lawyer, so I have no idea how any either. of this works. Maybe I'm just. <laughs> wildly speculating but that was one of my first thoughts about why they would do that other than he helped them lose almost a billion dollars that's another pretty good reason i think that gen that that definitely tarnished his star the uh <laughs> <laughs> you know and they might be using this for for the sake of appearances too and on the part of fox to show that like some measure of rectifying this situation or something like that, where they got rid of the, the, the biggest part of, you know, this disinformation campaign. See, it's so weird because they've never done that before. Like why, why would they all of the sudden be like, we stand on principle here at Fox news. Wait, what about Glenn Beck? How did he get kicked? I don't, I don't remember how Glenn Beck ended up leaving, but I forget what it was, but it was like something that was a bridge too far. Bill O'Reilly left because of a sexual harassment lawsuit. It was because there there was a giant settlement that was of an undisclosed amount, but large, evidently, and that's that's why O'Reilly left. I think. And there's more Ingram. At least that's too. what I remember reading at the time. I can't remember what happened to her. Which one was Laura that? Ingram. That's a good question. I don't know. And uh, and uh, Don Lemon also got booted within hours too. Yeah, that was yeah, that, that was. That, that was Unrelated, the most surprising probably. thing to me about Don Lemon's situation wasn't that he got fired because it's I don't know it seems like this was probably a building thing on on the uh, on the inside you know based on misogynistic remarks and just being a hard to get along with person and stuff like that. What I did not expect was would be the number like just the sheer quantity of Don Lemon heads on t- on Twitter. There are so many people supporting this guy. And I just couldn't imagine anybody feeling that passionately about an anchor on CNN. I, dude, yeah, I didn't I, either. I, like I he's thought he not was just like, another anchor, and that was it. Like it makes it makes. I mean, he was one of their bigger anchors, if not. I mean, but I mean, there's they also have like you know, Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper. I, you know, I don't think he was as large of a star as them for for CNN, but. 
I, I mean, and with Tucker, I understand like, well, I don't understand, but I, un- but I get it that there's so many people defending him because he, he, again, like you, like you were just saying, Ricky, that, that people really like the, the, the voices that have all these answers. He's not an anchor, like a news anchor. He's up there telling everybody what's going on. And they love it because they're confused and scared because they're, they, it's by design. They've been filled with fears and insecurities for decades now. And now, you know, the Tucker's the perfect guy to, with his whiny little voice to tell you what's happening. And his furrowed brow. Like, I think it's, I think he got Botox, so it's permanently furrowed. And his weird ass hairdo. I don't get the appeal. He's definitely a golden his retriever. voice is annoying. <laughs> like, the guy has nothing going for him. What? <laughs> He was cooler with the bow tie. Yeah. Oh, God. Crossfire. <laughs> Another CNN alum. That's the thing. Like, he, he got fired from CNN and then went to Fox News and he got even more extremes. Like, what's he going to do now? Is he going to go to Newsmax and be even worse than he is now or somehow? Uh, See, I don't think somebody like him. I, I, I was thinking about that today, too, because a lot of people were talking about, you know, like, whether uh, Fox is going to uh, to poison the well for for Tucker so that he he doesn't end up going over to Newsmax or OAN or something like that because they don't want that competition. I actually don't think that he would even want to do that, to be honest. I think that would be such a reduction in his status that he needs to, you know, he needs to sort of go out like a samurai, I think, in his mind. And, and he's he's going to be totally independent. Yeah. Just like Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck. He's going to. He's going to move to podcasting. Yeah, I was going to say he's going to do a show sort of in competition with with Ben Shapiro. Basically, I was going to say he's my my speculation was that like uh, he has to do something that doesn't look like it can be a lesser move for sure. But it's hard to compare it as a lateral move because it's a different platform. And I was thinking of like um, Wired. uh, uh, Where uh, where did uh, where did. Uh, Peterson go. He went to Shapiro's. He went to the Daily yeah. Wire. The Daily Wire. Okay, okay. That is Shapiro's. No, no, it's not Shapiro. Who owns that one? That's not Shapiro, is it? It was, um... I thought it guy. was. Uh, Breitbart. Either way. Because T- Tucker already has the Daily Caller. Yeah, it was Breitbart, wasn't it? That owns he left the Daily Wire? No... Either way, one of one of those one of those fun and thrilling places filled with absolute peaches of humans. Uh, I'm I, I'm figuring that. Uh, it's something like that, that it's hard to compare apples to apples. Uh, so it's harder to look like a step down as long as it looks really big in that platform. Or like you said, Sean, just some kind of a, his own Tucker Carlson is my favorite guy.com. Daily wire is founded by Ben Shapiro. Oh, it is Ben Shapiro. Huh. And Jeremy boring. 2015 because yeah because that's because they, they signed up jordan peterson for his own yeah i i, I don't know hour of power or something like that <laughs> hour of white power hour of white power. <laughs> hour of, <laughs> that's the whole show <laughs> <laughs> hours of white power <laughs> well circling back a little bit so carlson has really focused on the christian nationalism angle and and he is absolutely somebody who's broadcasting this idea. Mm-hmm. But we do have some other folks at the top. We we played Greg Locke and we have some other pastors who are 
heavily concentrated in Texas and Florida and some other fun places that that are just concentrated with uh, uh, these sorts of melted brain types. Uh, yeah, what, who's the Seven Mountains guy? Oh, f- um, I don't remember his name. Yeah. Well, anyway, those like the, the basically the seven pillars of Christian nationalism and oh, that oh. we you know the, about reshaping reshaping America in a biblical image. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember his name though. And then there's the wall builders, of course. You know, we we've we've talked about them in the past too. Hmm. Yeah, and and with 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 all these cats, they they both rely heavily on scripture to promote their idea. At the same time, not really diving deep enough into the scripture to actually make it mean anything. Well, they don't care about it. They don't actually give a shit. That's the thing about Christian nationalism. They don't actually give a shit about what's in the Bible. Uh, it's it's a Trojan horse for their privilege. That's what Christianity is for them. Um, because if they cared, they would be doing a lot for the poor. Like that's I, I, I y'all know me. I criticize the Bible all the time. I'm very good at it. Uh, but it does it, it does say take care of the poor, like pretty much through the whole thing. Take take care of the poor. Even in there's a scripture in Daniel that says atone for your sins by giving to the poor, uh, forgive debts, all this. They're not doing any of that shit. Fuck that. Um, ignore well, everything. Take care Jesus of the poor said. would be the song that they play at the end of the concert. Yeah, it's just it's an aesthetic that like uh, Texas just is trying to pass or you did pass or is trying to pass or is being passed. Uh, they just passed the, the, law the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments in each classroom, and in uh, Tennessee, um, they voted to put "In God We Trust" in on the like state emblem. Meanwhile, they're like one of the poorest states in the in the country. Like it's it's an aesthetic. It's a symbol of privilege, and they're like, "Boom, we are Christians. You have to listen to us. This is our privilege." Because they're uh, like my good friend um, Andrew Seidel uh, says from Americans United. Um, they're they're raging against the dying of their privilege. They they know they've lost the culture war. They know they're they're losing. The Gen Z is taken over. They're dying, um, either by old age or by COVID denialism. They're dying. Gen Z is taking over, and they're losing their their spot at the top of the food chain. And so they're using Christianity to like desperately cling to it. Like this is this is our right. We are Christian. No, even if we're the, becoming the minority, you still have to listen to us because our message is the right one. It's like their last ditch, like hail mary pass to hold on to the privilege that they're losing. Because you know, famously, it said when you're uh, how's, how's the saying go? When you're privileged, equality feels like oppression. Or yeah, yeah I've heard that. Yeah, the, the yeah. yeah. To the privileged, equality feels like oppression, you know. Um, so yeah, that's all it is. They they don't give a shit about Jesus. They don't give a shit about biblical principles because there is some good things in the Bible. There's some good teachings in there. There's a lot of garbage, a lot of shit, a lot of outdated stuff. But there's some stuff in there that's not all that bad. Um, they don't care about any of that. They only care about what verses they can pick out that elevates them above everybody else and makes it say that they are the rightful ruling class uh, and they deserve to stay in that position no matter how few of them they are. Yeah, it's not. I I I was listening to you you talking in in another podcast and and somebody asked, "All right, well which which passages do you like?" And you mentioned Ecclesiastes, hmm. uh, which I went to the trouble of reading before this <laughs> uh, because I'd never read it before. No. Oh. 
Great book. And man, the cliches that I use on, on an everyday basis, which Sean hates, by the way, <laughs> uh, he just hates that I use cliches all the time. Uh, but I realized that, man, I'm using at least three of them from yeah. this one book alone. Nothing new under the sun. Eat, sleep, and die for tomorrow we... Or eat, eat, yeah, eat and sleep and drink for tomorrow we die. Like, yeah, a lot of those common sayings comes from Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It, I mean, it, and, uh, you know, honestly, it was pretty good. It was pre- I mean... It's like my favorite not, book. Not that Bible. I'm doing a, a book review here, but... Yeah. <laughs> was that? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably my... It's hard to pick a favorite, but it's probably my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, but it's short, it's poetic, it's emo as fuck. Uh, so I love it. It's... <laughs> It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's very down the earth because the context of it was King Solomon, you know, who had all the riches and power in the world and his son was going to take over uh, as his heir, but his son was corrupt and wicked. So this isn't historically accurate at all, uh, but this is like the setting of the book is his son was going to take over and his son was just going to destroy his kingdom out of incompetence. Um, And so he was like, everything I did was for nothing. It's all going to go away. So he was really in his feels, you know, listening to Blink-182 or something while he's putting on his eyeshadow. <laughs> all the small things. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he, he has this very, like, reflective moment at the end of his life where, like, shit, none of none of this matters. Nothing matters. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun read. It's a, it's a different tone. Ecclesiastes, the official goth book of the Bible. It is. It super is. And I love it. You made the distinction that it's not necessarily historically historically accurate, but it is the context for for all this material. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's really unfortunate about how the the whole story of the Bible has been taken over so much and co-opted in this way because it really does represent this enormous collection of cultural heritage. But we don't we don't treat it like that typically, at least not in not popularly. We don't, you know, not when it comes to popular culture. It gets treated that way by historians because they treat it they treat the biblical text of the way that they would treat the Odyssey or the Iliad, which is a really respectful way of treating it. That these people lived and existed, and they had these thoughts and these ideas, and they they had this view of of their own lives, and they had this whole culture that just gets swept into a very modern day interpretation of all these things because the this the way the way that we tend to read into it is it is much more influenced by the apologists mm-hmm. and the way that they're trying to just sort of you know sweep everything uncomfortable under the rug and then you know and and then shine lights on all these very specific areas and trying to avert everybody's eyes from the things that are harder to explain but those things that are harder to explain, they don't really need to be justified in a historical context because that's just what these people were doing. And if we want to understand them, we need it all. Yeah. You know, in the same way that like this, there was the slavery is a great example of this mm-hmm. you know, and how it's depicted in the Bible. It has a very large presence in many areas. <laughs> you know, like they were not ashamed about having slaves there. And I, you mentioned this in one of your TikToks where you you break down like not just that. They had slaves, but they had rules for how you were allowed to beat them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they got very kind of into the details, you know, very legalistic about this. That doesn't need to be explained away. It's better to be understood. 
I mean, we, we know that the Greeks had slaves and, and nobody is, you know, no really has, you know, has an, has an urge to justify that or something, you know, that, that oh no, that was, you know, that we have to understand the context of that time in the world that they were, they were, they willfully submitted to servitude or something like that. Like, no, they were prisoners of war mm-hmm. and they were, and then their children were born into slavery and, or sold into, and, and sold in markets. And that's just how it was. Yep. Even the early church fathers after the New Testament's written, like in the first three centuries, they continue talking about slavery and how you should treat your slave. Like hundred years. This is after Jesus. Yeah, years after Jesus. <laughs> They're still talking about how to treat your slaves. So, <laughs> so what? One of one of the guys, the you know, the apologists that I came across, and and coincidentally, you've engaged with them, which is just a wonderful serendipity. Oh is Pastor Josh Butler. Because he specifically has gone out of his way in a piece. And, and this is something else to mention. Uh, I'll give him another, a little bit more of an introduction. You, you engaged with him in the context of him getting fired from the Gospel Coalition's Keller oh, Center yeah, for Cultural yeah, yeah. Apologetics. Because yeah. he wrote this, he, well, it, it's, it, it, they published an article, which turned out to be an excerpt from a chapter from his new, his most recent book mm-hmm. about uh, using this parallel of sexual intercourse and our relationship with God. Yep. And li- literally, like, sort of God putting his seed in you. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, it is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> So this is a this clip is from an interview kind of kind of a while back now. I think it was this is about four years ago. But he you see the uh, the 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 seed (laughs) to use that again, the seed of his idea. Oh, I can't wait. But just I mean, the Bible is less prudish about its language than we are. You know, Mm -hmm. one bodily union under her. It's actually describing what's happening in the act Uh, and. Historically, that's often been called um, like the active and passive roles in the equation, right? The, the, on the male side of the equation, it's this active role of penetrating one's spouse or one's bride. And then on the female side, it's kind of the passive of receiving your spouse within yourself. And, um, and I think that's significant when we look to our union with Christ and the nature of salvation is while there's a mutual self-giving between Christ and the church, uh, there's also a sense where um, Christ penetrates his, his bride with the seed of his word with the presence of his spirit uh, and the bride here is a corporate figure it's it's like the church cosmically like the, the whole church whatever but uh, but there is this this picture of this intimate union that the church has with christ as our, our king and our lord where we receive his presence within us we receive his word within us and that christ's word and his spirit his seed and his presence it makes his bride fruitful it actually causes her to bear children of God, to bring us forth as children of God into the world and to nurture and nourish us as the, you know, the bride of Christ, like nurtures and nourishes us as his mm-hmm. children into the world as children of the king and, and his bride. Uh, so I don't know, I kind of threw a lot out there, but I think there's this beautiful picture mm-hmm. of sexual union as an image of Christ's union with his church and the way that he, you know, uh, yeah. And that that relationship mm-hmm by both generosity and hospitality. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, because I think it's, I really need to double check this, but I think it's James 1 where it talks about how, like, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. 
uh, that it's the receive is has a, a a sexual not just like connotation but denotation where it's like like sema or something like that in in the language. Yeah, it's in First uh, John. Huh. I, mean, I have to go back and find the exact, but it talks about us being conceived by the the sperma of God. Ah, uh-huh, yes. Well, you know, like what, what we're kind of, but the, it's the literally the word seed, which in Greek and in Hebrew, like seed can refer both to like plant seed or human seed. And mm-hmm. so when Jesus is telling the parable of the four soils and the planting of the seed, like it's, it's the sperma, you know, wow. the, the, okay. there. Um, but then it's also the word uh, that's used for human. And, and, and so in the context of first John there, the imagery is, is birth imagery that we have been conceived by mm-hmm. uh, the sperma, the seed of God, which is in reference to, uh, I believe his word. Dude's like if trying to give God. Freud a run for his money, man, just everything is about <laughs> sex. Everything is about all of it. He is. I think he's really trying hard yeah. there. I mean, he is like, he's, he's just trying to take these words and just bend them into this, this sort of balloon animal to make his point. If if any of that is true, then it needs a hashtag me too attached to it. Yeah, right. Or trigger. There's war. no consent in any of that. <laughs> we've all, we've all been me too by God. In the, in the beginning, there was a trigger warning. <laughs> and God said, "Let there be a trigger warning." <laughs> Jesus Christ, so to speak. <laughs> I, I, you know, I read a little bit further, and, and there there was a uh, a bunch at this uh, the Keller Center making uh, you know made a big deal out of how well you know he's no longer affiliated anymore, and you know they they've they've severed ties with Pastor Josh Butler. And and, but there, his articles are still up on the actual Gospel Coalition's website. Yeah. They took down that particular article, and then they made a they made some sort of a statement. But that was the extent of it. He's still involved. I heard about that. Yeah. And it, it, and yeah, so it's like they've done absolutely nothing. They obviously don't have any issue with any of this stuff. It's just dealing with you know with negative response. That's that's all they've done. It's just like a PR move. There's there's they, they haven't done anything. Yeah. yeah, because I, you could see his articles going, you know, from uh, most recent one was January 2023, going back five years on the Gospel Coalition website. Yeah. And and they're, and they're missing the whole point of why everybody was so upset about it, which is you you posted up in the first place. Like, no one's mad that you didn't take it down fast enough. We're mad that you you read it and you didn't right. think it was weird. You, you, didn't, you didn't have any issue with yeah, this because we're a Christian. That's how you fucking talk <laughs> a lot of the time. That's how you think like the purity culture lingo is just all throughout that article. Like that shit used to hear every day in church growing up, which is why like when we read it, we had such like a visceral reaction. Like, no, no, I left that. I don't fucking want to hear that shit again. Uh, and I can't imagine how women feel, you know, who may be victims of sexual assault in some capacity from the church who read that and how damaging that could be to them. Like they, they had no like introspection when they read it. They just read it like, mm, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and put that up there. What people are mad about it. Why? Why are they mad about it? Well, cause you're a bunch of old white guys blessing off on an article. That's telling women they should be generous to receive their lovers. Semen. Like you should, and, and, literally and, and, said, you should be grateful. You should be thankful. You, this is a, this is a, he is blessing you. The least you can do is be grateful, ladies. Like, what shit is that? And they were like, yeah, that's right. Fine. That passes, check. 
And there, and there are, there, there is an almost direct connection, like direct point, like points of contact with that sort of interpretation of a biblical passage, that way of viewing things, and then just transferring that into this is how I'm going to behave in my own life. I'm going to see this as, you know, like as I, you know, me like inserting my seed into this sort of, you know, into this passive vessel. Yeah. In the same sense, talking about some pretty obscene shit in the Bible, there was, I don't know if you guys uh, read about this, but there was this Utah mom who took advantage of one of these book bands that are, Christian nationalists are sweeping the country with book bands. Oh, yeah. Largely driven by Moms for Liberty, but there's there's other motivating factors, Heritage Foundation, others. Uh, no left turn for education. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, this Utah mom typed up eight pages of obscene shit in the Bible and said the Bible needs to be banned immediately <laughs> and submit and submitted it uh, to I want to say it was the school board, whoever is this responsible authority for for the passage of this book ban. And it's it still seems to be in limbo, but they didn't really have any good arguments because uh, meanwhile, they're trying to ban a book about a couple of penguins in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, uh, uh, Justin is a mermaid, I think is one of them that got that that's up on the, up on the, on the band block in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, about a, a young boy who dresses up like a mermaid. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the Meanwhile, story. You have in the Bible, you have like judges 19, which has a, a, a man gives his female servant to a mob for them to gang rape. And then he wakes up and he finds her dead on the porch. And he cuts her body up into twelve pieces and sends them sends one piece off to each tw uh, of the twelve tribes. That's but but sure the, the game. Wow, the that's game some mafioso shit. The game of penguins. That's yes, it's some Game of Thrones shit. <laughs> which, which book is it in? With the uh, where the uh, the angels show up to the door? Is it uh, and and they're gonna the the townspeople yeah, show up and they're gonna rape the angels? Yeah, yeah Genesis, <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He gives them his daughters instead. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you, you, you can have my daughters. Oh, Leave my the daughter. angels alone. That's the thing that they did back then, I guess. Weird. You know, I think the three little pigs had some better, better morals and just as much violence. <laughs> I mean, if you read the original, the wolf does eat them all, I think. If you're going to be fascist, at least be consistent about it. All right. You're going to ban this book, ban this one too. But no, no. You know, like, like you said, though, it, that it... There is no need for consistency. They don't have any interest in consistency mm -hmm. in the same way they don't care about the Bible. They don't really care about laws either. The, the, they pick and choose the way that things are interpreted to suit whatever their interests happen to be. Mm -hmm. And it's really mob mentality. It is just a total reactionary mob mentality where something makes them uncomfortable and they have this repulsion and then they want to stamp it out. You know, that's, that's the whole issue with, any sort of concern that on, on, you know, among this, 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 you can't even really call it far right anymore because it's really just the right. Yeah. But their, their whole concern about this isn't the, isn't some sort of, you know, problem with, with trans masculine, uh, athletes competing in women's sports or something like that or trans feminine rather competing in women's sports. They don't care about that. It's just, it's just an easy target. But the real issue is that it makes them uncomfortable. They don't understand it. They don't know what's going on. And they, they, they have this sense of repulsion because of that. And they want to get rid of it. They just want it to disappear. They, they have, they have several browser tabs dedicated, you know, to, to that type of porn. 
uh, but they don't want to. Yeah, they, <laughs> they know all about it. Yeah. But, but they don't, they absolutely. Don't want you to know that they absolutely. Know about it. Yeah. yeah, they don't want you to know exactly how much they know or where they got like, that knowledge. Yeah, I hate and this. And oh, you are totally right. The 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 deputy governor of Tennessee that was just busted for for uh you know chicken hawking basically on on Instagram. Mm-hmm. He was liking this guy's posts. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> he was like, I was just trying to support him. Yeah, we know. We know you're trusting. <laughs> he's got real positive energy. Like, I just want to, you know, he's got real positive energy. And I just want to, I want to encourage that. And and his his explanation was was almost straight out of Little Britain. It was just, it was, it was the, it was the press reading. I just, I just did a tweet about it, uh, but a totally different guy. But I was referencing the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's that character who is he's got his family gathered up and he's reading this totally implausible oh, that guy. <laughs> totally implausible explanation of what happened yes i was meeting with one of my constituents uh we were discussing governmental affairs when suddenly i slipped and he was inside of me <laughs> <laughs> and then i got up and then i fell back in again and that, and that happening over and over and over again Remember when uh, Alex Jones was caught with like trans porn uh, on his phone? But yeah, like in his his explanation for that was, oh, it was a it was a pop up. The pop up came. It was the last time trans porn popped up on your iPhone for no reason. Come on. It's never I mean, happened to me. Not once. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. And in and in fact, I'd go so far as to say it wasn't. It's not just that trans porn hasn't popped up. Like porn doesn't pop up on my phone. Yeah. Like just on its own. Yeah, you're not your iPhones don't run off of Windows ninety five. Like you're not getting the, the pop ups. Like, oh, damn it! Oh. If there's porn on my phone, it's because I put it there. Roy and IT crowd, how how do you have so many of these pop ups on your browser? <laughs> Ooh, I'm just trying to click the internet button. It's like there's the browser. Behind the lady. The lady's not supposed to be there. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, though, about the, you know, the number of, of open porn tabs that they have in their browsers. And that's why they know so much about this yeah. stuff. This is also a very consistent theme. And I think it has everything to do with Josh Butler at making those, you know, very like sexualized or having that very sexualized interpretation of, of biblical passages. This whole the, the whole effort is just just swimming in sex. There's so much concern with sex. And I think that's why there's so much focus being put on the sexuality of other people by, by this crowd, because they're the ones that are thinking about sex all the time. Yeah. You know, the, the, that, uh, who was that Senator? Maybe it was a representative. I think it was a Senator, but it was the, the guy that had the wide stance in the airport bathroom. You know, like he was, he was trying to, trying to, you know, ha- like, uh, hit oh, on the guy ago. in the, in the bathroom stall next to him. But th- this same guy, and he was busted for it because I think it was like, it happened to be a cop or something like mm. that. But he's like spreading his leg underneath the bathroom stall, trying to like kick the other guy's foot. And be, I, I guess that was a move he knew to try to, you know, see if somebody was interested yeah, in a bathroom hookup in an airport, you know, so. How did he learn that? First off, mm-hmm. this is not a new thing. He's been he's been living in like in this cl- closeted in this community, sort of like you know b- sitting in both worlds at the same time. 
Meanwhile, you know, passing, trying to help pass legislation to infringe on the rights of the people he's having sex with. He's got a wide stance because he's sitting between two stools, Sean. That's really right. He said that. He said, I have a wide stance. That was the defense. Yeah. <laughs> his, he has his legs. He's, he's taking the largest shit ever known to man. He has to spread his yeah. legs underneath both sides of the bathroom stall. <laughs> It's, it's the projection with these people is unreal. Like every single time. Yeah. Well, circling back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Where do we go from here? Oh, right. <laughs> that was a sweet segue. <laughs> Smooth like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you bringing us jules <laughs> back to earth uh i i did i i had a note here that we were, we were talking earlier about interpretive christ i'm sorry my note is called interpretive christ that's what i called it is 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 that so much of christianity is interpretive uh there there's so many centuries and uh uh regions and authors where these books are are, are originating and uh uh the bible itself is not univocal it's not speaking with one voice although if you listen to some of these folks there's one word of god and it was delivered i have the amazon uh, tracking number of when it was delivered in 1 a.d <laughs> But but uh, but it's not univocal, and, and it's coming from multiple different cultures, and and even there's multiple deities in it. I, I'm recently learning about uh, the difference between the Sumerian storm god and um, Al. and El, or no, El is the storm god. Uh, Al is the storm god. El is the supreme uh, god of the pantheon. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But specifically between the two of those. And how they effectively just get uh, uh, blended into the same God in into this monotheism that is not one God. And Asher too. El is coming from the El is coming from the Canaanites, right? Yeah, yeah. Canaanite and and Baal and um, yeah. So originally Yahweh was we don't really know a whole lot about Yahweh uh, prior to uh, the Yahwistic cults getting intermingled with all these other cultures where he started appropriating these other um, aspects of these deities. But scholars tend to think he was a warrior deity. Um, and then he started taking on like aspects of like a storm because like storm thunder, it's easy to be a warrior deity and have that. And then he starts becoming like a grain deity and a, a weather deity and a fertility deity. So he starts taking on all these different things. And then a funny thing happens um, because, you know, you know El, El has a wife, Asherah. And, um, but, Later on down the line, um, Yahweh starts getting conflated with elves so successfully that uh, uh, Asher becomes elves or, or Asher becomes Yahweh's wife. Uh, like we have inscriptions on pottery that say uh, Yahweh and his and his Asherah uh, from the eighth century. Um, so and after that point. Yahweh starts getting like when Asher start Asher worship gets demonized. Wait, hold, hold on the the eighth century CE or BCE? Oh, BCE. Sorry, B, this is all BCE. Okay. Um. So then, worship of Asherah gets like uh, demonized and removed from the or, or uh, altars get removed from the temple. Um. And then Yahweh starts d developing more feminine traits. Um. 
like more like fertility. Like there's there's a passage in Job um, that says uh, God is a father who has a womb, right? Um, a father with a womb. So God is trans now. What's happening here? Uh, he's a mother. He's a father to the fatherless and a mother to the motherless. Uh, That's what we in the business call a callback. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> there's references to like to breasts and things like that. So like Yahweh is now even taking on aspects of uh, Asherah. So yeah, like I was, I would say like the Christian God is basically the Megazord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry. It was it was it was really an open ended question. I I, I wasn't that's why entirely we want to talk sure to where you. I was going with it. <laughs> was there even a question in there? I don't remember. I guess uh, where I was heading with that is is so we we do have uh, uh, all these differences of of time and cultures and and even deities, and it's not univocal. Uh, and uh, we of course have the apologists that we were talking about earlier that are trying to reconcile these unbelievably disparate things about as disparate as you can get them. And, uh, uh, I, I guess what I'm wondering about is how, how does this sort play into a modern religion, uh, where you can just interpret the Bible, however the fuck you want. Uh, is there, is there, is there some consistency to it where there's a, a teaching that, uh, you might find some consistency if you're if you're kind of wading through uh, all of this. Uh, not that I'm searching for a consistency, yeah, yeah. but would you say that there are some common threads uh, that you could say, all right, there, there's a teaching here once you get past all of this complexity? Yeah. Um, for example, in the New Testament, um, everyone believed the end of the world was happening very soon. Uh, in every single book, every single book in the New Testament, there's some version of the end is here. We are in the last days. These are the last hours. Paul is writing to the churches saying, or uh, people in churches are asking Paul, when when is this happening? This is some of some of us are dying. This is supposed to have happened already. What, what's going on? So Paul addresses that, and he's like, just hold on a little bit longer. It's coming. It's right around the corner. Keep the faith. So like even even Jesus said when he predicted um the the essentially the apocalypse and he said to his disciples like the last of you will not taste death before this happens like this is going to happen in this generation so like, all throughout the new testament even up to revelation which is written uh the end of the first century like 95 uh turn to the second century ish um you still see the same thing and the the end is coming soon so like and then into the early church fathers hundreds of years after that they keep saying the same shit um, here we are 2000 years later. So yeah, in the new Testament, that's one very, very obvious, um, thread or common thread that they all believed the end was coming soon because they were Jews. Life was shitty for them. Uh, they were not treated well for the Romans or by the Romans. So they were like, don't worry, we're going out the end. Our God is going to deliver us from them and it's going to happen very soon. And of course it never does. That's why Jesus tells everybody to, to sell all your possessions so you can prepare yourself for God, for God's second or uh, God's coming. Um, Paul tells him, "Don't get married. It's better to stay single and remain in prayer because he's coming back soon. There's no point in getting married. It's better to prepare." So yeah, long way of saying they all believe the end of the world is coming very soon, and there's not a lot of dispute between the books about that. So that's basically the teaching is millenarianism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
if we if we if we ask the the so to speak, that thread has been maintained. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people have picked it up. Oh yeah. If 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 we if we're to ask uh, Tucker Carlson or or some of these these ilk, we would be inclined to believe that things have gotten very good for the Jews because uh, apparently they own all of the media. Yeah. Uh, and they they run the world. Definitely the banks. Yeah. Well, they're they're the the false. They're they're the antichrists. You know, they're, they're, they're the wrong Jews. They're, the, ones they're, they're the other yeah, Jews. Right. Yeah, they, they don't accept the Messiah, so they're wrong, which is crazy. Like, none of these fuckers know how to read Hebrew. How, 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 do, you, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know anything about what the Jews thought about the Messiah? You don't know shit. I could tell you, but they can't. <laughs> and it was not Jesus. That's why so many of the Jews rejected him as the Messiah, because he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't meet any of the criteria. So... Now that's what interesting. The, what, yeah, yeah. That, that's that. That's head that direction for a little bit. What what, <laughs> what criteria were they? Uh, did did he not meet? So the Messiah was supposed to be from the line of David, of course, um, and he was supposed to uh, end the wars and unite the tribes and rule over them as his king. Um, the Messiah was not really divine in any way. He wasn't certainly wasn't God in the flesh. He, he, he was preordained in some way um, to, to fulfill that role, uh, but he wasn't he wasn't coming in performing miracles like he wasn't he wasn't doing that. He was supposed to be like King David, like King Solomon, just a king. That's who the Messiah was supposed to be to uh, restore and rebuild the temple. Um, Jesus, obviously, didn't do which that. he also didn't do. Yeah. Right. J Jesus didn't do any of that. He. No, he just turned up tables. He wrecked the place. Yeah, he came up and, and died. <laughs> he, was, he was killed by. So the Jews are like that. That the king was executed by by the Romans. Okay, that that doesn't make sense. No, he's he's not that guy. Uh, but you know, enough of them got convinced somehow. Uh, that is really interesting. Well, and, and I I think the thing that that is that is fascinating to me about that is that is how the people that got convinced that about Jesus's position and you know and then what he what he was and what he has been come to see is representing weren't Jewish. Right. They were converts. Right. They were people who didn't have a history of Judaism in the same way that the apostles That's did. That's a huge they were people, reason. Yeah, they were coming at it from outside. They didn't have any of the they they didn't, you know, they they weren't in that religion. They weren't in the uh, like of the Jewish faith. Right. They were they were the Gentiles and which just means everybody else. And they, you know, so those were the people who formed the, the, the first core group of Christianity, the way I understand it. And mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting because they didn't need to be convinced uh, uh, about Jesus matching up with the, the criteria of the Messiah because they didn't know anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. And even before that, because uh, Jesus, of course, Jesus' disciples were all Jews. Um, mm -hmm. he, took, he took on Jewish disciples and taught them how to follow his interpretation of the law of Moses. Um, but he didn't go to the temple. Typically a rabbi will go to a temple and he'll pick like the, the star student, right? The, the prodigy to be his, um, apprentice or, uh, disciple or yeah, disciple. Um, and he'll only pick one of them. Uh, but Jesus picked fishermen, and tax collectors and day laborers who weren't at the temple. Uh, they couldn't read, couldn't write. They didn't know anything. Uh, and he was like, you come be my disciple. So to them, it was like winning the lottery. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why they were like, yeah, I'll throw, I'll, I'll abandon my family. I'll f leave all my shit behind and I'm going to go follow you. Uh, I never really liked them anyways. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't choose them. 
Um, <laughs> I never wanted those kids. <laughs> I've been looking for an excuse, you know, to get rid of to get out of the, that house. And cigarettes haven't been invented yet, so I can't go get those. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they were they were thrilled. Uh, but they also didn't know anything. So Jesus was able to teach them his version of the law. And then Paul came around and Paul had a really hard time converting Jews, which is why he focused mo- mostly on or in, uh, exclusively uh, on the Gentiles. Because, yeah, again, they, they knew even less. Um, that is really interesting. Yeah. And they're like, hey, y'all know this promise, this divine promise you've heard about from the Jews? Well, it's yours now, too. And here's the thing. You don't have to follow any of those laws. Right? There's there's a sect, an early sect of Christianity called the um, the uh, Martianites or no, the, uh, the Ebionites, um, and they were a a mosaic law practicing sect of Christianity. Like they believed Jesus was Messiah, but they st- you st- you still had to cut off the tip of your dick. You know, we still got to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, still still can't eat pork. You know, all, all these you can't. So you still have to follow all those laws, and so that. Um, uh, that sect basically died out because they couldn't win converts. Nobody, they were like, yeah. But for the Gentiles, Paul was like, you don't got to do any of that shit. You don't got to cut, <laughs> cut off the tip of your penis. None of it. You, you're just you're just saved now. All you got to do is, You like bacon? No yeah, problem. Got you. Got you. <laughs> um, so Paul was very successful in winning converts, obviously. So, And there's another group called the Martianites that were, that were similar uh, to Paul's, and they eventually died. Paul was winning employee of the month, I'm sure, <laughs> month after month, top salesman. Yeah, and Paul was absolutely a salesman too. So, how 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 so? Like, what what was he? What was he? What kind of shenanigans was he up to? So what what Paul did? And I don't have any specific examples off the top of my head, uh, but Paul quotes the Old Testament quite a few times in his letters, but he changes them every single time. He never quotes them directly. He takes it. He, he does what Christian apologists do. They he takes verses out of context. Or he, I was just thinking about that. He will change that. a word or two and completely alter its meaning. But he can do that because the audience that he's talking to, they can't go and fact check him. They can't read, so they just have to take his word for it. So he was able to do that, and they they ate it up. Um, there were some issues dealing with, with like um, there's a. A passage in Numbers that says, cursed is he who hangs from a tree. Um, so that became a problem because Jesus was executed from a tree or a cross. Um, could be either way. The word the word there is steron, and it's very ambiguous. It can be a cross or a tree or a, a wooden octopus. It, it would use the same word. <laughs> um, so, so Paul came up with this idea like he became sin and then died. And he took our, that's how he took our sins away from us. Like Paul's the one who came up with that idea. That was his sales pitch. He's like, that's how, that's how you explain away that verse. Jesus wasn't cursed, even though the Old Testament says, if you die on a tree, you're cursed. Uh, he became sin and then died and then killed the sin for us. So that's how he explained that away. And people were like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So he was a clever bastard. He really was. <laughs> clever little bastard. It is the like the worst trait of, you know, really just like the compulsive liar to just keep telling more lies to explain the previous ones. Yeah. And in the same way, you know, with uh, with somebody who just tells big stories, they have to keep explaining more and more to to make the other make the earlier stuff make sense. He could have just ditched the Old Testament. Yeah. 
I mean, he could have just said that all this supersedes that and, you know, like the, that he came out of this, but he saw, you know, but he had the new way and the, that old book isn't useful anymore. That's exactly what the Martianites did in the second century. They thought that Jesus, that they thought that there was two gods, a, gods, a god of the Old Testament and a god of the New Testament, because they're two obviously very different. And Jesus came representing the new, the god of the New Testament who wanted to save us from the god of the Old Testament. So because of that, they didn't want the Old Testament at all included in their like book of scriptures. They had like a version, they had used like Luke as the, uh, as their primary gospel, but it was missing like the virgin birth, the first couple of chapters, I think. Um, but they, they left the Old Testament out completely because they're like, we don't need that anymore. That represents the, the evil God that this God is saving us from. So like they, that idea was there. People, people came up with that idea, uh, but not Paul. Uh, and there were, and at that time, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they were, they were a lot more regional deities. I, I mean, I mean, these, these deities were, were particular to the region. Mm -hmm. They specifically protected certain people and the people, uh, across, uh, across the hill and, and just beyond the river, uh, those motherfuckers are worshiping the other deity yeah. and that deity's a dick. And anybody who worships that the the idols of that dick, are, they're you know they're they're real they're really problematic, and I mean they each town had had their own town mascot in the form of a deity. Yeah, uh, and 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 so in in this way he he's each of these folks are are, are branching out. It seems I mean this maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but it seems like they're branching out a little bit farther and saying. Uh, uh, hey, listen, uh, that was the old guy who was in charge. Uh, now this guy, not only in charge of this town, turns out the whole planet. How do you like them apples? Yeah. That's... Is that is that kind of the direction that this is going with some of these pitches? Kind of, yeah. There's, there's a lot a lot there. Um, I mean, I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing way too simplified of a question <laughs> no, it's this one. for a um, complex. Yeah, basically, uh, the original thought was there were uh, territorial uh, gods or uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 32, there's a passage talking about the divine council uh, where El uh, gives out portions of uh, the tri gives out uh, the tribes to individual gods and says to to Yahweh, uh, your portion is Jacob or Israel. Um, then in a later passage, is it Psalms 22? Anyway. Um, it's like the same story, but in this time, Yahweh is sitting in the role of El, and he says, I'm going to judge all of you, and even though you're gods, even though you're sons of God, um, you will die like men, and I am going to rule over the whole earth. Right? So he's not distributing the nations anymore. He's telling them, it's all me now, baby. Uh, I, it's a coup. He's the jealous. <laughs> it's like Yahweh, the original tin pot dictator. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's that's the weird thing about like like El in the Canaanite pantheon, who is the supreme deity, the high god. He didn't give a shit about being worshipped. He, he was like a very chill god. He was more worried about mediating dispute, disputes between the family members. He didn't care about being worshipped by humans. Didn't give a shit about that. Uh, but Yahweh was a jealous God, right? The Bible says. Uh, so he wanted all these, this territory. He wanted all the power. He wanted all the worship. Uh, and that's what his followers believed of him. So that's why, um, so they would start like, um, where, where do I go here? Um, 
worshipping other gods, like because all these other gods were worshipped alongside of him. Uh, the Yahwistic cults believed that, they started to believe that worshipping these other gods was actually angering Yahweh. Uh, and that was causing, because other tribes would be like, Let's, it's not raining. Let's try offering a sacrifice to this god. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try maybe doing it a different time of day. That still didn't work. Let's try offering a sacrifice to this other rain god that we heard about. Oh, it's raining now. That worked. This god must be stronger than this god. And so that's how that was working. What was different about the Yahweh's Yahwistic cult was they were like, no, the problem is us. Uh, our god is supreme, uh, all-powerful. Uh, if there, If he's not blessing us, it's because of us. It's something we're doing. We're not honoring him enough. We're not dedicating our enough to him. Um, so then they started thinking, yeah, maybe worshiping um, Asherah or Baal inside of his temple might be pissing him off. So they have those removed. And then they have those relics burned and buried. Like, so they're like, yeah. So that's kind of how that starts to happen. And then, like, the Babylonian exile happens. Uh, and they a whole generation goes by when they pretty much forget about all the other gods. They were they were there was no denying that those gods are real. They all believe those gods are real. They just didn't think they deserve to be worshipped. And then the Babylonian exile happened, and yeah, a whole generation kind of forgot about them. And so that's a big a big point of development in monotheism was because of the Babylonian exile. Really, I I that was one of the questions I wanted to ask is is what was the turning point there? Yeah, that, that was that'd be a big one. It's really something how much of the the way things have played out over the past couple of thousand years has to do with some real coincidences. Yeah. Just, you know, totally like like unforeseen consequences from very innocuous decisions. You know, deciding to to give more, you know, somebody comes up with the idea that that, you know, this god's jealous and we need to get rid of these idols and that really turns into this fixation on one individual deity where versus really every place else on the planet mm-hmm. didn't do that. Nobody ever came up with that idea in, in Norse mythology. Right. You know, no, nobody ever came up with that idea in, in the Maya culture that, that one deity was, you know, they had deities that were more powerful relative to other deities, but never did they come up with like, Oh, the, you know, this guy's more jealous so we need to get rid of everything and really just, you know, focus all of our efforts here. Exactly. And from, and from their perspective, that, pe- that kind of paid off because um, when the Babylonian exile ended uh, was when Cyrus the Great. So the um, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and kicked the Jews out of their holy land, destroyed their temple, and they went to exile for like 50-something years, 60-something years. can't remember now. might have been 80. Anyway, um, but eventually, they were uh, when uh, the Persians took over um, Babylon. Uh, King Cyrus was allowed or allowed the Jews to return. He said they can come back. So from their perspective, and the Bible even calls him Cyrus the Great. He's a Persian king, a uh, pagan king, but still calls him Cyrus the Great because they believe that God used him or whatever. But he allowed them to come back, and so they were like, "Oh, we pleased God. He gave us our holy land back. We must have been doing something right." So. Whatever we're doing right now, let's not change and maybe build on it. But clearly you've done something good here, so let's not change anything. And in one, one in a very long line of imperfect vessels, uh, like I, I, I love that interpretation. It specifically gets applied heavily to Trump that, 
he's he's been chosen and we're not supposed to we're supposed to overlook all of these you know these personal uh mm-hmm. drawbacks about the man and his behavior and his you know like basically everything about him <laughs> that he does <laughs> but but instead focus more uh, on what he's allowing to happen for the current chosen people and you know and like and how he's a benefit to them and then, so that's how god is working through trump yep and it's it's absolutely insane um how many people were like how, how many people prophesied that he was going to win the election and how many people how many like big time pastors and evangelists like made all these prophecies that he was going to win or he was going to come back and take over Joe Biden and then they're prophesying he's going to win 2024 now like how many prophecies have to fail before you are like maybe maybe God doesn't actually like Trump all that much <laughs> he's, he's sending out uh, unless you or something because he, he's, he's not doing him any favors unless you believe that Trump is actually still the president yeah, and Joe knows. Biden's been recording all of this from a soundstage. <laughs> In our part of the uh, of the internet, that's uh, that's a story that we've come across many oh, times. Yeah. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> George Carlin mentions uh, in in one of his bits, he talks about how the more you look around, the more you start to think that shit is fucked up. <laughs> And, and if there's this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God, either they're incompetent or they don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Yep. <laughs> well, I uh, I know that we are, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much time you have in the evening and I don't, and I don't want to uh, uh, abuse your time. Um, I have probably a few more questions that, I, that I'd like to ask, yeah. but uh, I, I did want to kind of take a take a check and see where we're at i got i got a little little more time left in me cool if you're game then i i mean i I, honestly i could talk to you all night if you'd let me (laughs) (laughs) um one of the things that i i was really curious about is uh, is uh, uh with with christian nationalism we you can't argue with it we mentioned this earlier you you can't argue with it with logic you can't reason your way out of something that you didn't get into with reason. We've been really talking for last half hour or more about tribes and specifically about these different communities that are trying this one thing to to make this deity happy happy and and trying this other thing and these different cults, not cults in their in the way that we often use it in modern American English, right. but in the anthropologist sense of yes. cults. Uh all these different cults that are with their distinct customs from their from their time and their place it seems to me that so much of the christian nationalism that's happening is is a is that's their cult again not in the modern american usage but it is it is about having these tribal customs and 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 not even about what it's really about not the real meaning of christmas uh, as far as this goes but they're 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 trying to make sure that they dyna- identify as part of the group and even more importantly identify the outsiders the people who are not us they don't look like us they don't sound like us they don't smell like us they're not us and uh, y- in all of this i'm seeing a core group in this country and other countries but a really core group of fanatical drivers 
who are also backed by some pretty heavy hitters, Heritage mm-hmm. Foundation and Alec and, and other stuff. And then opportunists who say, great, uh, if, if I can get elected by vilifying transgender people and gay people and black people and, you know, whatever else that's popular at the moment, I'm in. Yeah. But but in all of these, I guess my my question is, despite those pockets of drivers of, of extreme, extremely intense drivers, there's also a huge chunk of the population that identifies as Christian mm-hmm. in this country or religious of some kind. And there's a huge chunk of them, I think, that are kind of along with the bandwagon. They're 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 kind of along for the ride. They're not in the driver's seat, but they don't want the other guy. So fair enough. I guess we're they're I guess like we're reluctantly aligned with them, maybe. Yeah, I like like their party is doing all this crazy shit. Yeah. Because it's 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 motor it's it's exciting the 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 base of hardcore fanatics and well i'm still republican this year so i guess i'll vote republican or or whatever the motivation is i really don't know but there's a huge chunk that are still christian and i i guess what i i wanted to kind of throw in your direction is being such a community-based thing uh where does where does uh, knowing about christianity fit into this i mean do you do you have any notions on where the knowledge of biblical scholarship could fit into modern american culture in a in a meaningful way for, on all sides yeah um i think there's absolutely value um in sharing biblical scholarship and I, I, I if you asked me like three years ago i'd probably be like no uh but from my own experience there's a lot of people out there that are interested in in this topic it's you know, why I have the following I have and I had no idea. I was like, you you want to know about this very weird, bizarre question? Okay, well, let's talk about it. Uh, there's a lot of people um, that are interested in that, but the, only the people that are interested in it are the ones who are going to listen to it. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are having their perceptives challenged and their, uh, their realities challenged and they're trying to learn about it. You know, a lot of young people who their teenagers are growing up, they don't know shit about dick and they're trying to figure things out. So they're they're asking questions and that's a good thing. Um, so putting this information out there and hopefully steering them in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. But at the end of the day, um, the majority of Christians don't know what's in the Bible and don't really give a shit. Um, they're in it for the privilege. That's it. Um, when it when it comes to church, you go to church. And they tell you what's in the Bible. They tell you about Christianity. They tell you about Jesus. Tell you what happened. Um, and then maybe, maybe a small percentage of people will actually read it. But by that point, they're reading it through rose-colored glasses that their pastor gave them. Um, so they're not. They already know how to interpret it. So when they do finally come across the words, right? They're they're you know because like you said, people don't read it generally. Yeah. They, I mean, if they do, they read piecemeal passages right. and not the entirety and. With definitely not with the context of somebody who knows something about the historical period. Yeah. You also mentioned at, at some point, speaking of communities, you also mentioned about how it's so unusual. It was unexpected for you to discover that there's this massive community of yeah. ex-Christians who were so interested in biblical theology. Mm-hmm. Am I am I using the term correctly? Is that is that biblical theology or, or biblical studies? You can, yeah, you could say you know theology, biblical. Anyway, it's just words. <laughs> just words. <laughs> just words. We we know what you're driving at. Very very ambiguous words that can mean all kinds of different things. So yeah, um, you're fine. 
Um, yeah, I, I was blown away because, like, when I went through my deconstruction process, I, I very much, um, like, kind of isolated myself and went through it on my own. Um, I'm not a super social person, uh, so I didn't, like, go out on social media and, like, look for groups and look for advice or help. Um, I just, just went through. You, you weren't posting your questions on Reddit? Right, yeah. <laughs> TikTok wasn't around um, yet. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't on Reddit or anything. So, yeah, so when I made TikTok and then the, I always say, like, the community found me. I, I didn't find the community. Um, the community came to me and I was like, holy shit, you guys would have been awesome <laughs> when I was going through it. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. That would have been super helpful. Um, but no, yeah, it's, there's, it's huge and it's growing every day. And that's very encouraging. Do, do you think it's growing because... Because there are new people coming into it that were that that are recently questioning the, their religious associations, or because there are people that have that are, were already questioning it, and it's people that are finding out that you that you all exist. I don't know. I think it, I think it's multiple things. And it could be different things for different people. Like there are people like on TikTok that are like currently deconstructing and they're like documenting like their 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 process. Uh, and that's cool as shit, and that's really helpful to some people. And then there's some people who just recently deconstructed. They were like, "Oh, this guy is like where I'm at, but like the next step ahead of me. This is this is where I'm. I should be hopefully in the near future." Um, so they get like a glimpse of that. And then there's there's people who have been out of it for a long time, uh, and they're like the more like sagely people who have like the the better advice to give. Um, that's also helpful. So like everybody's playing their part. Um, and yeah, I think good things are happening because of it. There's a lot of talk that I've read in, in all sorts of different articles from sociologists to, uh, you name it about how the pandemic influenced parasocial relationships and specifically concentrations of extremist groups during the pandemic and even making some comparisons to some of the during and after effects of the Spanish flu, 1918. Uh, but what I think is way less talked about is the communities that are, that are formed from the pandemic, or at least since the pandemic mm -hmm. that are, I would describe it probably as simply positive yeah. communities, like all these sorts of communities that I didn't see about, I didn't hear about, or at least I didn't notice in such prolific concentrations or 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 uh profundity as as i'm seeing since the pandemic i mean obviously we see all the the unfortunate ones but this this probably is one that we could chalk up to the pandemic probably there are so many folks i mean uh uh evangelicals or ex-evangelicals that i've talked to seem to say similar thing of i discovered during the pandemic that there's this whole fucking community of people just like me. I thought I was the only one, and and other similar stories, not just yeah. ex-evangelicals. Yeah, so it's crazy. Like when when a a good healthy community comes together and that just genuinely enjoys whatever their community is centered around, um, they just coexist with each other. Like they're not out there trying to win converts. Uh, you know, you don't you don't see like furries out there like fucking be a goddamn furry. You need to be a furry. Like you. you don't see that. They're just the furry evangelists. Yeah, they're, like, they're just out there fucking being furries. I don't know. That's just the exact example. Like, well, I imagine a furry in a squirrel suit coming up to my door. <laughs> Have you heard the good word? 
but then you have communities like like yeah the the far right or the alt right whatever they're called now that their their community is centered around being loud being in your face being intentionally offensive uh bucking against the system which isn't always a bad thing but when they do it it is um and screaming wake up sheeple like they're the ones out there screaming these but things. don't be woke yeah don't wake be woke, up but wake up don't be woke no Try my anti-woke coffee. <laughs> it's, that's decaf. <laughs> that's decaf. <laughs> it's only it's only it's only forty dollars a bag. <laughs> Christ! All right, the, the guy who tried to start up the anti-woke beer oh, to compete man. with Bud Light. <laughs> He's just a conservative political operator. He's trying to sell it by mail, <laughs> which is no, not that, really that, legal. That beer company. That beer company canceled him they found out what he was up to and they're like oh no we're good because obviously he didn't make that beer <laughs> yeah he lost his brewer so now you're basically just buying like a uh, a graphic design mock-up of a six-pack mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing like that they're, they're always trying to sell shit and make money like the, the grift just keeps it's the grift that keeps on grifting trump keeps making new Trump, he's making new F NFTs. Sarah Huckabee Sanders made uh, beer cozies like today. See that shit? Oh yeah. What is it? Uh, uh, done by a, a real like way. done by a woman. Yeah. A real woman. Yeah. And then in the commercial for it, there's this lady, and she's <laughs> a real woman doing real things. That's what it yeah. is. And one of them is this woman. And she's she's taking a a dried fish yeah. about off of a shelf and putting it into a too small box. It's just like the tail is sticking out of the end of it. My favorite, my favorite part of that, that is a real woman doing something real. My favorite part of that is that there's a scene where there's like four or five people saluting, and one of them's like wearing a military uniform, but they're saluting like this with their hand out. The ridiculous you salute. salute. You salute like this. I like, that's how they salute in North Korea and China. Yeah. So I'm like, you're not even saluting correctly. What fucking real women are you? Why are you saluting Where like did that? you get that uniform? Because that's not that's not her uniform. Yeah. No way. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> and and people thought every article that I've read about it is an article about how people thought it was an SNL bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like wow who do they have playing sarah huckabee sanders she looks really good <laughs> she's got the lazy eye going and everything how do they <laughs> oh my god it's amazing now, the, the lines between satire and reality have never been blurrier the, the venn diagram of satire and, and reality is, is this fucking circle yeah, this is this is uh, definitely the wackiest timeline. Uh, the The scriptwriters are all on strike. Mm. Yeah. They've been on strike for the entire decade. Yeah, whoever's running the simulation is just fucking around with us at this point. <laughs> yeah, let's let's put a talk show host as the president. Let's see what happens when I, when I do that. Wait, didn't we didn't really we try well. the movie star uh, in in the eighties? Yeah. Nah, don't worry about it. He's a talk show host. He did reality TV. It's totally different. Yeah. Let's let's make a guy like lead his campaign. Let's make that a pillow salesman. Yeah, there we go. Guy who sells pillows is in, is going to be in, in charge of the president's campaign. Like, what are you doing, new guy? <laughs> uh, my my uh, my pillow guy. What the fuck is his name? Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. 
just lost five million dollars yeah. because he did a challenge. Oh, beautiful! Oh, the 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 Schadenfreude that I get from him losing his money and mm-hmm. Elon Musk losing money. I mean, it's coming oh, out yeah. of his ears. Spe- oh. Speaking of the challenges, Elon Musk uh, <laughs> lobbed his own challenge out there to. Uh, he offered a million Dogecoin. Oh yeah. And <laughs> to anybody who could substantiate that that there was actually an emerald mine that his family owned. And of all the people to weigh in, it was his dad. <laughs> like I I can tell you it was real. <laughs> no son, remember? <laughs> your sister, your sister has two emerald pendants. <laughs> insane. All right, so I'm I'm gonna keep this party rolling a little bit because I wanna I, I before you go I wanna uh, bring up that some of the content that you, that you've uh, that you've you've stitched on TikTok has is absolutely ridiculous, mm-hmm. and some of the people are I mean you reply to a lot of people like you were talking about a moment ago who are in a phase of deconstruction themselves or at least asking questions that they're really asking. They're not trying to troll you or anything like that. And you, those are the ones you respond to. I'm sure you get trolled all the yeah. time. But the 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 people that you reply to are asking questions about I, I saw one about denominations in the in the in the early history of the church. Yeah. What were some of the earliest? And you cut you talked about some of those just a little while ago. Those those sorts of those are serious questions. At, at least they mean them seriously. But some of the stuff that, that you've stitched has been absolutely hilarious. So I just have a, I just have two because I know we're, uh, we're going to be running short on time real quick here. Oh, so this is kind of like a, uh, a, this is your life of TikTok, I think. Oh man, this will be fun. I like never watch my own videos. So awesome. <laughs> this, this first one's recent. <laughs> so you'll, I'm sure you'll remember it. Oh yeah. Jesus did not rise from the dead. He was tranquilized. The crown of thorns that was put on his head is from a plant that literally creates a berry for tranquilizing. This tree that I cannot pronounce is nature's version of chloroform. That is the exact tree that they use to make the crown of thorns. Interesting enough, it makes a narcotic beverage made from fruits that is considered to be a tranquilizer and a sedative. Care to respond? It sounds like a conspiracy theory. It sounds like a bullshit conspiracy theory. It's because it is a bullshit conspiracy theory. (laughs) We have way better naturalistic explanations as to what happened to the body of Jesus if you want to go that route. But that's probably the worst like, I don't know anything about agricultural practices in first century Palestine. I'm willing to bet that guy doesn't either. Was, was that growing there at that time? <laughs> right, exactly. Know. Pretty sure he doesn't know either. Right? So, I don't know. He looked like a scholar to me. <laughs> Nobody could see this, but the 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 video that we're just showing, like he has a whole series of these where he's sitting on his bathroom sink, shooting into the mirror, and then he's got you know, this like black throwing top. Th- Nothing wrong with throwing that, things but. up there. But the the expl- the the response that you gave in the uh, in your in your video was what well, I just thought it was absolutely great that the Romans were really really good at killing yeah. people. That's the thing. If they said they killed them, they killed them. Yeah. There was no taking down. Oops, you're still alive. No, that was not a thing. Like, no, he was just in a coma. Yeah. If he put on a fake doctor's coat, like Dr. Spaceman, I mean, Dr. Spachemi, uh, I would I would be totally on board with that much more than, yeah. than the way that this guy was set up in his bathroom. But the thing is, when it when it comes to like arguments that Jesus actually rose from the dead, what he said is still a more likely alternative. 
Like that is a that is yes. a more likely. Yeah, that is, that's a really good point. That is a really good point. He's actually presenting something more reasonable yeah. than the than the standard than the standard still story. Sounds that's crazy, and it is, but it's still a better explanation as to what might have happened to the body of Jesus than he resurrected from the dead. All right, I got I, I got one more, and th- this one is uh this one's a little close to me too. God, this guy has so many videos. Oh, oh boy, ten weapons of spiritual warfare, understanding the Holy Spirit. Oh God. Do you have God's anointing? King David wasn't small. So many good ones, but <laughs> I've chosen the one that 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 you specifically re- responded to. Okay, it's gonna blow your mind. That's what he says, at least. Oh man, one of those. So has the Ark of the Covenant really been found? I came across a few videos a while back of a guy named Kevin Cash, whose major purpose here on TikTok was to show that the Ark of the Covenant has indeed been found. In fact, it's been known for over 40 years, apparently. So you know this sparked my interest, and I had to do my own research a little bit and just let God show me whatever he wanted to show me with this. On January 6, 1982, a man by the name of Ron Wyatt said to have discovered the Ark of the Covenant, which was located about 20 feet below Christ's crucifixion site. Now, isn't that interesting? And to add to that, he even discovered the carved out hole in the ground that Jesus' cross was placed into. And how he knows this is fascinating and what I want to share with you in this video. According to his words, when Ron made it through the opening in the cave where the Ark was, there was little space to move around so he crawled as much as he could, but then he saw a box that he assumed the Ark was in. The top stone of the box had been split in two and there was actually a dark, dry substance that had spilled into it. When Ron realized the significance of what this was, he literally passed out. But watch this. Later on, Mr. Wyatt had this substance tested in a lab in Israel. And the scientists started to freak out when they realized that the substance was blood and that it actually only had 24 chromosomes. 23 X chromosomes from the mother and only one Y chromosome. Y'all probably know that we have 46 chromosomes, 23 from mom and 23 from dad. But Mr. Wyatt wanted to take this a step further, so he instructed the scientists working on this to take some of the white blood cells in the sample and put it into a growth medium or a growth solution. And what did they find? The blood was alive. Wouldn't th- wouldn't that mean Jesus had Down syndrome? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like Klinefelters or something like that. One, one extra chromosome, and that's what Down syndrome is. So, and on top of it, he mentioned that we found out about this forty years ago. Raiders of the Lost Ark was in <laughs> 1981. So he got it. That's when we learned about it. It was four decades ago. You didn't even catch that. I loved when. The beginning, he was like, according to his own words. Is that like after he passed out in the cave? <laughs> what did he say he saw? After he passed out from hypoxia, <laughs> and somebody had to drag him out. He, he didn't bring anything back with him, like his proof. And that's the thing, like when you, when you dig into it, um, he brings back like these white whited out photos that he took like oh the brightness was too and the photos didn't come out because of brightness you guys and he couldn't get the arc like he couldn't get it like free so he took like a stalactite that was poking into the top of it and he brought the stalactite back and he was like see this this was stabbing into the arc that's my proof like that's a rock (laughs) that's a fucking rock (laughs) that's just just, sticking out of the arc that's a normal rock yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And, and like the, the part where he says, and they found the actual shaft where the crucifix, where the crucifix was hidden. Like that's just a hole, hole in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the point I like to make when, when people bring up Ron Wyatt is that he, he was a nurse anesthesiologist. He was not an archaeologist. He's the guy who discovered the the chariot wheels at the bottom of the sea and uh, Noah's Ark. Like he discovered everything, and that's that's uh-huh. that's my point. No proof of any of it, um, but that's my point. Um, when it comes to like um, biblical archaeologists or uh, Christian groups, uh, they have near bottomless pockets, and they've performed like hundreds of excavations with the intent of finding something that would prove their religion to be true. Um, over decades, centuries even, they've been trying to find evidence uh, and spending billions upon billions of dollars to do it. And they've come up with... Hobby Lobby got into a lot of trouble for oh, yeah. stealing artifacts from Iraq. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they, 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 they bought illegal artifacts off the black market, yeah. Um, but yeah, like... And they, they, they've you mean they, with- there weren't people in orange vests out there digging in the hot <laughs> desert? <laughs> All, after all these efforts, all this money, all these years, they came up with nothing. Nothing. Like they found some pottery shards sometimes. That's it. Uh, and then comes one guy who's not even an archaeologist, by himself, discovers everything. Like, that should be a pretty dead giveaway. He's making some shit up. He discovered the Ark and Noah's Ark and uh, the chariots at the bottom of the wheel and Jesus's blood and all the other shit. Like... He, this one guy discovered all these things. How? <laughs> he managed yeah. to not provide a single bit of evidence for any yeah. of it. You, you have to get permits to be able to dig for things like that, one. And there's no records of him getting those permits. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's insane. But people are so desperate for this shit that they don't even ask those questions. They just they just take it at your word. Yeah. According to his own words. The obvious answer here is that it's yeah. not any of that. Yeah, I think that's that's the problem. People are too eager to accept things without, and they're less eager to ask questions. Like, be eager to ask questions. You know, look for the holes. Look for them. What's the problem with this argument? What's the problem with the person making this argument? You know, like if if you want to know the truth, you have to ask these questions. But if you want to live your own delusional reality world, then go for it. But we're gonna make fun of you. Don't be surprised when we do. (laughs) Don't be surprised. I think that that's probably a pretty excellent stopping uh, point um it was there was there anything that you wanted to add before we do kind of like the roll credits stuff um no i don't think so other than just say thanks guys for the invite i had a lot of fun i do yeah it, yeah this it, has been, it has awesome. been really really fun uh, and informative too good i mean good. i i'm gonna have to re-listen to this and like write down notes for the future <laughs> awesome <laughs> what i like to hear where can we find you and also, do you have anything coming up? Yeah, plug something. Uh, yeah. So, if, one, you can find me, of course, I'm best known on TikTok as Captain Dadpool 86 I'm also on Twitter, Captain Dadpool, uh, And I have a YouTube channel, like I mentioned, Nerds and Heresy. And I interview uh, scholars in various fields um, every week, almost every week. Uh, we have coming up, um, actually have uh, Dr. Kip Davis, who is a friend of mine. He's a world-renowned Dead Sea Scroll scholar. Um, cool. He has a... Uh, courses that he's doing online uh, that you pay for, uh, but they're going to be worth it. And I'm helping him promote it. So I'm going to be doing like a 15 minute interview with him about the course. I'm doing that on Wednesday. I'll probably have it uploaded at the end of the week. 
And for everybody's information, so we're recording this uh, Monday the 24th, uh, so that will probably have already been uploaded uh, by the time this is out and everybody's listening to it. Perfect. Yeah, other than that, I just got some other scholars lined up uh, to talk to on the show and make a TikTok video whenever whenever I feel like doing it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this really thanks. has been awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wetwired. If you'd like to help us support the show, consider becoming a premium subscriber on Patreon. You'll get access to our full premium episodes, as well as our entire back catalog from the last year and a half. If you want to reach out or just follow us online, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WetWiredPod. Anything else? No. No, that's everything. We, we, we nailed it. We'll see you next time. Later. But someone might say, wait, Charlie, are you implying that in order to be virtuous, you've got to have a religious root in there? Is it really that important or can't we just be atheists and be good? Yeah, I'm sure there's good atheists. I get this question a lot. There's a lot of good atheists out there. They're good because they're practicing the Judeo-Christian ethic. They just don't want to admit it. The, the question is, yeah, what is the good? If we practice the Darwinian that, that, ethic, uh, we, I could end up eating my neighbor because uh, you know I'm, I'm fitter and I'm surviving. Precisely. That's right. And so the question is, what is good? I always ask young people, I say, well, what do you mean I can't be a good atheist? I said, well, you could be a good atheist. I've never said that. Where do you get this definition of good from? What is right? What is transcendent? What is evil? These are really big questions. And thankfully, we have an amazing tradition in the Christian um, in the Christian world of what all these things mean. We take this for granted because it's kind of been meshed into the DNA of Western culture. Right. And it's, it's not normative to the human experience. So to answer your question, freedom is not sustainable if you remove religion. And I'll be even more specific. Freedom is not sustainable if you remove Christianity. Eventually it will implode. 